listening to The Photography Show. This is episode number 19 for April 17th, 2011. They keep it on the P. Record. All right. And we're live. Yeah, we're live, bro. We haven't been live in a while. No, not since. Did we do one last weekend? Weekend before. Weekend before, and it took me a week to get off my... you got really busy because you got swamped at work, and it yeah. took to get it up. Well, but... I kept forgetting, too. <laughs> it was like, oh, yeah, I got to keep putting that. I got to put that up. Have you done an, uh, one of your other podcasts recently? Did one? Yeah, dude, I, f- I filmed four yesterday. Oh, wow. Yeah. See, my so new thing... up on those. Yeah, here's the problem is like, is, like, making these things sustainable, and I've got a good workflow, so, like... You know, technical issues aren't the, the situation. It's just having the time to do it. Right, exactly. But like I'm t- today. Exactly, but I'm tired of it. And it's it's frustrating me because people want to see the stuff, and I'm really grateful of that. So I want to get it out and same with the show. And so what I've decided to do with the video show is I'm going to start doing more. Like instead of just sitting down and doing one and planning it, mm-hmm. I'm going to take a couple more days, plan a bunch. My goal is to get up to doing eight at one time. That way I've got two months covered. Because then – you don't have to do another one for a long time, of course. You can come up with more ideas, and the they're idea. only 10 minutes a piece or whatever, so you can knock out like a, you know, a ton in a couple hours. Yeah, if you're prepared, you can. Yeah, and it does leave more research time, and that is important. So You already got your camera set up, your light set up, whatever. Yeah, if you've got it all planned out, you can just go through them. Yeah, so that's a good well. idea. Yeah, so that's the idea. You won't be as frustrated. Yeah, I don't like being frustrated. I mean, yeah, this is totally something you do for fun, so you want to keep it fun. Exactly. Exactly, mm-hmm. and uh, once stuff starts turning into work, then it's like you know. yeah, then it's not funny anymore. And I don't want to stop doing these because I mean we've have obviously even on this show. I mean there's there's some awesome people that we email with and Twitter with and mm-hmm. have met in person, and and it's it's cool. You don't want to drop it, but uh, yeah, you know. In this show, we're st- we're totally still doing it for obvious just because we love it because there's no other reason that and the fans and yeah we it's, it was you know it's weird because like a lot of the well not a lot of pod a lot of podcasts i don't know what the majority is there's a lot of wild podcasts on on the itunes but mm-hmm. a lot of the tech stuff they tend to do news-based stuff so they record them weekly um mm-hmm. but like with my video thing there's no reason why i can't do those in advance i mean no, they're not because they don't they're all date. kind of just tutorial type yeah and this show doesn't really date either i mean we don't talk about news or anything you know no uh-uh. so you can listen to them whenever but uh, yeah totally so i'm just saying Good. yeah lucky for us <laughs> <laughs> well real quick maybe we should talk about what just happened where i got to come up to the dma where you work the dallas museum of art yeah. and i got to be a part of what y'all call um the creative is it Creative Connections? Well, yes. It takes place in the Center for Creative Connections, which is part of the museum. But uh, Wade was asked, we do late nights at the museum, and they're the third Thursday, excuse me, the third Friday of every month. And we're open till midnight, and there's a lot of programming. So uh, Nicole had asked Wade to come in and be our guest artist and come speak and show his work and help with the workshop and all kinds of cool stuff. It was very cool, by the way. I it was, it. yeah, it was very fun. The whole, I've, I've been to a lot of these late nights at the Dallas Museum of Art. They're always fun. There's always music and dancing and food and drinks. And then you can walk through the whole museum and look at things. And then there's all kinds of speakers, uh, poets, uh, musicians, all kinds of things. So this thing that we are a part of in the creative commons is kind of more, uh, focused on kids earlier in the evening where they have like kid yoga and they're teaching kids about art and things like that. And the, the room that Ted and I were in, we, uh, 
they miniature houses had been set up and miniature little fur and stuff and kids and adults were having just as much fun coming in and re and arranging little uh living room scenes and bedroom scenes and then we had uh, uh light table lamps that we could have for lighting and ted and i being big dorks even broke out like the diffusion paper <laughs> to diffuse oh, yeah. the light <laughs> and uh and then we had little sony pocket cameras and and uh little tiny tripods and, and they took pictures little miniature and that was super cool pictures of miniatures uh, it actually was very cool i wasn't real sure how cool that had would be a lot of fun that was in there yeah it was fun actually those kids yeah. were hilarious those girls that were over there like going to town on that stuff oh yeah it was cool oh, yeah. like my wife and her friend who are 30 they were having just as much fun as like the two 10 <laughs> year old girls that were, were doing the same thing or well whatever. the cool thing is everybody started busting out hipstamatic after a while and then like some of those photos they look like like real scenes that you can't yeah, tell they they're really miniatures. Yeah. That's what was so cool about it. Did you get that email I sent you of that guy? That, but he does. Um, if you haven't seen it yet, I sent you an email, you and Nicole, because of because we did that whole thing. And it's a guy that does like New York cityscapes. Yes, yes, it was bad. Like yeah, newsstands and the subway and all these things, but builds them to like perfection and then photographs them. Same concept as what we were doing the other night. That yeah, was like, very cool. The, to the awesomeness max you know it was like his stuff is so realistic looking it's just yeah so you know, a, you know i was a kid pretty, pretty cool idea pretty cool concept oh yeah you know when i was a kid i was obsessed with that and not so much from photography but uh you know when i was a kid obviously it was a star wars junkie but i remember when like they had stuff yeah you remember when they had the making of star wars on and like all those fighter scenes where they're blowing up the death star and stuff the flyovers yeah. the it's miniatures but they look oh. real in the movie you know oh yeah 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 the, Back the then, Millennium Falcons miniature. I mean, they still do some miniature stuff now, but there's so much other stuff they can do. Um, well, they do it CGI graphics. now, so it's yeah. in the computer. It's Back real then, miniature. Miniatures, yeah, little boats floating in little tiny fake rivers, and yeah, spaceships all flying around on strings and stuff. Yeah, you know what's funny? I think it is the intro to somebody. I had to use this for something that the museum did. It's the intro to King Lear, the movie based on the Shakespeare play. And they started off, uh, the movie starts off as a play at the Globe. But it, the movie opens, and this is like, gosh, the 30s or 40s when this was made. It was color, but it was real early. And they do this pan over a fake London that's all miniatures and little smokestacks. <laughs> does it look fake or does it Actually, look real? It looks fake, but the things that they really went great pains to do, like the smoke coming up and stuff, looked real. It was so wow. bizarre. Yeah, it's very cool. Yeah. So check out King Lear. I'll have to see if that's on YouTube or something and put a link up, but... Yeah, yeah, miniature. So that was dude. fun, and that was all about that was all about spaces. The whole theme was about spaces, and outside there's video screens showing different people's Flickr photographs and stuff um, that they've sent in of of you know spaces of of rooms and and city spaces and whatever applies to that theme. And then so I gave a talk afterwards that was based on my architectural photography. Um, that you know, of course, revolves around spaces, interiors, and exteriors, and even the fine art stuff I shoot. So um, it was a lot of fun all the way around. Yeah, they have. Yeah. Well, the theme is encountering space, and they have sub themes that change out every couple months. Mm -hmm. And the current theme is design spaces. And uh, so, yeah, so Wade was the architecture dude. But yeah, it was cool. And you know, I mean, when Wade was talking, he did a great talk on it. But uh, you know, I think as far as people trying to get better at photography and learn, I mean, there's there's certainly. You know, I think th that's one of the, like the I don't know how to phrase this. It's like you can kind of tell. I think the use of space, negative space, filled space, things like that in a composition. You certainly tell when people are kind of younger, earlier on in their photography training, because they kind of lack kind of an, a, a concept of that. Maybe 
Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's like it's like especially like with portraits. Like I think a real oh, totally. Hand- even I did, and 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 I still will. Yeah, like, I did too. Five years. Five years from now, when I go back and look at the pictures I'm taking now, I'm going to go, oh gosh. And when I when I even when I look back now at the pictures that I took two years ago when I started, or three years ago when I started, I you know architectural stuff, I was like, oh man, what was I doing? Yeah. So yeah, you're totally right. Well, you know, especially like with portraits, it's like you see younger people that shoot portraits or, or, or beginning photographers, and they always zoom right in on somebody's face, you know, which is fine. But uh, I remember when I, I started looking at like Alfred Newman's work, and you know, people like or, excuse me, Alfred Newman, Alfred E. Newman, Arnold Newman. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when he does like these environmental portraits, and he did celebrities his entire career, and and he would shoot people in the environment that they worked in. So it would be, you know, the famous shot of Stravinsky at the piano. So you can obviously tell if you didn't know who Stravinsky was that he was right. a musician. But right. but yeah, so you know, and a lot of those, I mean, he'd shoot them with wide angle lenses. Like I think the JFK portraits were done that way, and. You know, just being able to consider using space as part of your composition. It's a hard thing to to learn how to do because if you're not sure what you're doing, you can get that stuff cluttered real easily. Like you have just too much in your picture. Um, But being able to turn that into, you know, what's normally referred to as negative space where you have basically it's room to let the elements in your composition breathe is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of just filling up everything. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's how design is. I mean, you can do that to an extent uh, with design where you fill up, uh, you fill up something to where it's so junky or so much going on that that's the design that that's kind of cool. But if, if that's not what's happening, then the other thing is to go very minimal and let let everything. And that's where I usually like to go with everything is let every let yeah. stuff breathe, and and have a focus area, and then and then let there be room to have you know what we refer to as like white space in design. Yeah, it's like it's okay to have the sky in your photo take up a large part of the photo. Exactly. Know? Oh, totally. Yeah, definitely. Well, and yeah, it's it, you know, and it's interesting because like you look at just was the pod, one the podcast that I put out today for the other show. Uh, we were talking about uh, Edward Steichen, and you know, one of the things that I was talking about in a lot of his composition um, is that he would use, and these are really early on, so like the 1900s to the 1920s, things like that. But he would do. Uh, he would use light to, to kind of take care of some of that, that what we're calling white space or negative space. But he'd have, it, there's these two really nice portraits that I show in the video and, and they're portraits of women and you can't see their faces. I mean, their heads are fully in the composition, but he used light where he would just pretty much, it's a dark photo and he would just cast a little bit of light through. So you could suggest what's going on. So one is a woman playing a piano and all you really see is her torso and her arm and the, and the keyboard and that's it. Everything yeah, else kind of fades off to black. Yeah. And it's really nice. And that's, it's a really tough sensibility to learn how to do. I mean, I think even in some of your work that you were showing, I mean, using a lot of those outdoor stuff with, with these vast skies to really show off. Like that, that photo of the Garland Shopping Center, you know. Right. Um, there's a lot of nothing going on. And that describes Garland. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry if you live in Garland. <laughs> Garlandites. <laughs> it is. But, I mean, it's it, – and, and there's no cars in that parking lot. Is it an abandoned shopping center? But that's or? what's so cool about the photo is that there's there's nothing going on. There's no people. There's no cars. There's just this old – just this abandoned parking lot and this old sign. Is it abandoned or is it – did you just hit it before anybody got there? It was. It's abandoned. Oh, yeah. There's well, it's just Garland. Yeah. But this great yeah, sign with a big arrow pointing, hey. Shows you what's going on. So, yeah, I mean I – mean, just hitting on this topic, I mean, don't be afraid in your work to let there be a lot of negative space and then a, a major focal point of yeah. some sort. Uh, there's nothing wrong when in artistic realms with letting there be a lot of black or a lot of white or a lot of negative space. Yeah, whether it's a lot of sky or a lot of parking lot or, you know, whatever mm-hmm. that, that ends up translating to. It's basically negative space. It's like space that it creates drama. 
Yeah, d- d- space that doesn't have much activity in it or doesn't have a lot of clutter or doesn't, you know, that kind of thing. Right, just like the photograph you're just talking about. All that blackness that's in that whole photograph that might seem like wasted space to someone who's not artistic right. is creating drama. And then uh, the light's hitting on this this woman or you know, this is the focal point and it, that's what makes the photograph. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like removing all the non-essentials from the photo, you know. yeah. One other thing while we're on this subject that I think is a good thing to transition into maybe that we haven't talked about too much is I know you've given some talks and I've given some talks now recently all of a sudden for some reason. Um, You went all the way to London, right? Is that where you gave your talk? Yeah, I did two last year. One in London and did one in Paris. One in London and one in – you get to go to cooler places. I got to go to East Texas and <laughs> thousands of art. But. Well, come with, me with, come, come with me to Paris. Somebody needs to you gotta invite start me. But. Small. you got to start small, man, and then, and then work it up. But anyway, I just thought a cool thing to talk about, I think, is when you do um, get into anything that you're passionate about and if, if, if your work becomes something that other people are interested in. For some reason lately I've been asked um, at all of a sudden out of the blue to speak like three times in the last month or two. And um, even though I'm a very outgoing person um, and on a social basis, uh, speaking and being in social groups and things are very easy for me, uh, just just like everyone else in the world, uh, you know, public speaking is like uh, above, is, is a fear above death, really. Uh, <laughs> wow. To most people. And um, it's still, no matter who you are, it's it's intimidating and it's it's, it's a little nerve wracking. Uh, when you first start doing it, but um, yeah, I'm, no, I'm sure that when you spoke at your two things, you probably had a little bit of the the butterflies. Dude, and- I was terrified both times. I'm in another country yeah. in an exotic city. What's weird though, it's like I've spoken enough uh, in my career where it's that never really goes away. And when you're in something that is definitely seems above, where, I mean, I don't live in London, obviously, so that seems like this really glamorous thing. Yeah, and it's well, and I was speaking at the Tate Modern too, which was even, exact. I even mean, how bigger. intimidating it is! I was terrified; I couldn't sleep. I mean, it was like, and that never goes away. But but what you do become? I mean, I've become more confident once I start speaking. It's okay, you know. Exactly. But you realize nobody's going to throw anything. Hopefully, um, no. And I, you know what? It, what's funny about the fear of speaking is that you're mostly scared that you're going to. Um, because you're nervous that you're going to mess up something or that you're going to stutter or, you know, fumble on your words or yeah, just mess up breathe up, yeah. heavy or I don't know. You're scared of being scared, which is like the most retarded fear, but that's the one that we are <laughs> that scared of a lot. But I think it just plays into everything that we do really is what I wanted to hit on was like sure. when, uh, when, when you start your own freelance photography business, there's this, there's this fight or flight syndrome that comes immediately to you that says no you shouldn't do that you should go take a steady job because that's going to be steady pay and and and, and that's going to that's going to be yeah, for it's sure safe and it's safe and and, and if this doesn't work out and all those things all the, the fear immediately creeps in and and it's something that you should you know that you have to learn to say you know what shut up i'm going to do this worst case scenario i go back to work in that job that i didn't like or whatever sure um, same thing when it comes to public speaking and, and or a lot of jobs that come up with photography uh, that are new to you, a, a certain kind of portrait or maybe it's a it's a it's someone that uh, you look up to or a big company or something you know you can't screw up. This fear factor is going to come into play immediately. It's like you're not good enough for this. You don't have enough experience. You don't. You're not good enough at lighting. Um, you know you don't. It, you got to go for it. You know you got to. Yeah. And it's the same thing when it comes to this when, to public speaking is. Uh, 
is, is you know that a fear will immediately creep in and say you know what you're not a public speaker uh, this is this should be left to someone else and all that kind of thing but doing you know the first time I did I was kind of nervous the second time I was a little less nervous this last time I was even more comfortable and um, it's just like anything else if you just if you just do it you're used to it and it's like you said it's always going to be there but it's another fear that I think you should overcome if the opportunity arises you, you it's not you know something you should never pass up and um because it can just open up a lot of doors in a lot of different ways and if nothing else it's just you and other people being able to interact and and talk about you know something that you're both passionate about yeah yeah you know uh, you hit on something you said there uh, fear happens like Oh, with any micro level. I mean, I remember that you laugh, but I mean, the first time I put an image on Flickr, I was like, oh, here we go. You know, right. and right. it was like, because I think you're putting your work out there. And I think what I fear is what if nobody likes it or what if people make right. fun of it or, you know, because like I remember uh, one of the first shows that I ever did uh, well, when we did that thing at Gachet years ago. I remember uh-huh. I was being really nervous about that because there were a lot of people coming and there were right. other photographers in the show. And I'm, I, you know, and it's weird because I think. I think it's normal. Every person has that voice in the back of your head that's trying to tear you down. And and it's sure. kind of like you said, uh, the fight or flight. And that's what, uh, you know, Seth Godin calls the lizard brain, which in the <laughs> lizard brain, you know, to not detract too much. But basically, if you don't know what the lizard brain is, the lizard brain is basically if you think of a lizard, its brain is programmed uh, to stay in the sun and be warm and eat food and be happy. And that's it. And anything <laughs> that starts disturbing that, it has this fight or flight, which says, oh, I don't feel comfortable. I want to go back in the sun and be happy. You know, and yeah, we have we, we as humans do that too yeah we have a lot of that and we want to be comfortable all the time the difference is is as humans we strive for more than lizards but but we (laughs) i think the trick is to being able to understand that that's there and understand the reality of that and that's hard to do um you kind of have to like you know and the obvious thing if you're going to speak somewhere is is think okay this is the lizard brain kicking in i need to just chill i mean it's hard to deal with that but that's essentially what the um you know the the craft involved is is trying to yeah you know, kind of fend that off somewhat, but, um, no, you're totally right. It's just, it's, it's across the board. It, it's, a uh, multiple times or uh, many, many times in your life and in your career, especially when you're an entrepreneur and you're taking, uh, uh, a different route than everyone else. A lot of these things are going to come up that are challenges and they're, they're going to be things that are going to be like speed bumps. They're going to be hard to overcome mm-hmm. or, or are going to be a place where you can refuse to do it or, or do it. And I just say, always do it. Um, worst thing that you can do is screw it up or mess it up, and you're probably not going to do that. And if you did, that'll probably just be a learning curve. Well, or even um, to break it down even more, I mean, I, I vividly remember the first day of first grade. You know, <laughs> I, I, no, I'm serious. Or it, it kind of was the same with when I went to junior high. I mean, it's like I switched schools, and it's like you know, you're a kid. Well, yeah, and you're you're like, oh god, none of my friends are there. What if everybody hates me? I'm afraid. What if somebody beats me up and steals my lunch money? I mean, you know, you, you've got all those fears, and then when you once you, you have no choice, so you've got to go. And you know, you realize after the first day sometimes that hey, this isn't that bad. What was I afraid yeah. of? And sometimes it's remembering that, like you know, if you're going to go into something that's new or different or unusual, and you want to be pushing yourself, is what, I guess why we're talking about this. Uh, so let's say you set up to show your work in a um, you know in a gallery show and you have the opening and you're terrified of the opening you've got to remember okay hey this is lizard brain kicking in i need to go to this it's going to be okay i need to relax whatever and 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 that's easier said than done i mean 
But because you, I think a large majority of people turn away. I mean, I think that's really the truth. I think that's why there's so few people out there taking different chances of different kinds. Is because when exactly it does come why. to fight or flight, a lot of people say, "I'd rather be comfortable. I'd rather be. I'd rather not risk this. I'd rather not risk looking like a fool or." Or maybe not winning, or 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 looking like a failure of some sort. So I'm just going to go with the comfortable route and not do this, and then that way I don't have to look like a failure. Dude, I think this is what drives most. Uh, I'd say 90 percent of photography. It's like the way people shoot, the subject matter you see, especially mm-hmm. like on Flickr, which is largely amateurs, you know, uh, mm-hmm. or, or like even this. I mean, camera companies play into that. They make you think you need a, another camera to be better. And mm-hmm. you keep thinking, oh, well, I'm not going to do that now because I'm going to save my money, and in the next couple of months, I'm going to buy another camera, and that's when I'll – well, that's a bunch of BS, man. They're really at anything you can't do already, and right. it's one thing to want a new camera, but another thing is start hinging excuses on it, and yeah. uh, companies make a lot of money on that mindset, you know? Yeah, they they know everyone's fearful, and and so they play to those to those type of things. Definitely. Yeah, not in an overt way, but but definitely it's the you know the, the way they advertise cameras. They make you think you're going to need it, and and they do it masterfully, you know. Yeah. Um, but and I've fallen into that trap a few times in my life where it's like, okay, if I had that, I could be doing these types of things, and that's not ever true. You can do that with stuff you've got now. Um, maybe it's going to be a little more difficult in some ways to figure it out, but why aren't you doing it? Because you're using the camera as an excuse. You're going to buy the camera. You're still not going to do it. You've just used it as an excuse, you know? No, I think that's a, you know, I just saw, when I just saw you last, you had, after we had gone to that flash bus conference, mm-hmm. uh, you showed me some things that you bought after that with the light, some of the new lighting gear you have, which is the, the, toys. the cool soft box that the toys, yeah, the, the soft box that goes on your flash and the grid. And, Cause I and, can't get good photos without those things, Wade. Exactly. Well, no, but this, this I, and this ties into everything. I, I like the fact that, that that even just that we're expanding our horizons all the time. Right. We're trying new things. We're gonna we're gonna go and learn something new. I mean, that plays into the whole fear thing as well. Is like, uh, you know, learning new stuff is hard. Uh, it, you can be comfortable just with what you know and keep doing that, but to keep learning and to keep expanding, you know, even. Uh, what you're doing, even like when it comes to lighting and things like that, for us to to be constantly doing that is is something that's that's very cool. You know, and, here's um, here's another sidebar on that though. It's like mm-hmm. when when I decide, okay, so if you're not if you know what we're talking about, uh, Wade and I did the um, the flash bus tour, which was you know this full day work. Listen to the last episode, you'll hear it all. Right. Uh, so anyway, so you know, I, this is something that's very new to me because I haven't dealt with a lot of strobe off camera type flashes, um, you know, with the speed lights, and so you know, I wanted to try some of the stuff out. Well, you know, I wanted to get a grid and a softbox. I did not go buy the most expensive ones on there. I bought, in fact, it was the opposite. I went and bought the cheapest ones on there thinking, okay, I want to spend as little as possible, test some of this stuff out. And then when I know what I'm doing, then I'll figure out what it is that I, that I need to do, you know, or what right. I need to have. And I think that's, that's a good way to kind of consider a lot of things um, mm-hmm. in photography, you know. Yeah, uh, don't start, go out and think. Just you, what, start with just what you need and then, and then move from there. Yeah, I mean, uh, Shutterbug magazine is going to tell you that you need to buy the most expensive flash for your camera. <laughs> you know, and I, yeah. well, here's here's a great example. Like, you know, my sister, who's not, a, she's very amateur photographer. She likes shooting her kids and stuff like that. And I remember years ago, she, well, I think you were the one who recommended the D40 when they just come out. Right, and uh-huh. she bought one, and she wanted a flash. And I remember she—I think she'd asked you, she'd asked me, and a bunch of people, thinking that she needed to go spend a bunch of money on an SB800 at the time. And I was like, "No, you just need something that'll do a bounce." And she got what is it—the 400 that she has, that just the right. little cheap flash. And it, mm-hmm. she takes great pictures with it. She doesn't need more than that. 
you don't need more than what you know how to do with. When I was talking to a couple of people at, at, at the DMA the other night before or after the presentation, we were talking about um, amateurs and professionals and gear and stuff like just like we're talking about right now. And I was talking to, and we said this on the show before, but if you put the cheapest um, camera equipment and flashes in the hands of someone who truly has a great eye and knows how to take wonderful photographs, he's going to get great photographs out of this these plastic cameras or these right. these shelf bought disposable cameras and and nasty flashes and tin foil he's going to get one photo of them because he knows how to make pictures he knows the basics of photography i mean he has a great, good eye and then like we know the uh, we all know some wealthy person that has like all the gear that you desire to have in the world, all the best lenses, all the best flashes, the most expensive camera, and their pictures are just as crappy as they were when they had a point and shoot. Yeah, because exactly. they never learned um, the, ba- the the basics of photography. They never really had a good eye. They've never really learned their equipment. They've never read their manual. They don't know how to operate their camera. They keep it on the P. Uh, they, they they don't know how to. <laughs> They don't know how to operate their flash. They keep so, it on the P. They keep it on the P. That they, is, keep it on. they don't even keep it there, dude. They keep it on the what's, what's, there's a more basic setting than they keep it on the uh, the mountains or you know. Well, you know, that's kind of across the board, the P. I've, like, I've got to switch to a guy running. Yeah, no, that's I think you have a show title there. Yeah, keep it on the P. Keep it on but, the P, baby. <laughs> but uh but no, that's the truth. Gear is great. When it's put in the hands of someone who knows what to do with it, we're not at all saying gear, great gear is bad because it's not. If you have a professional that knows what he's doing and then he's given the best equipment that that a person can have, it's like putting the best car in the hands of a race car driver. You know, it's like, okay, you know, then it can be put to its full use. But otherwise, it's just it's just wasted money. You know, it's interesting. I, f- I found a book along these lines. This was, uh, I don't even remember what the book was. It was a Time Life Series book. This was at, at Half Price um, oh, a couple of years ago when I was looking around. And there was a book that was, it was basically a history of Pulitzer Prize winning photos all the way from when they started doing them up till current. And several of the early ones were taken on brownie, little box cameras, Kodak brownies. There's one of this big train wreck. I'll have to go look this up because it's, it's a cool photo. But that's all the person had with them, and it's this major Pulitzer Prize winning photo, you know? Because what it, what it, what it really comes down to is the pers- what the person captured. And that's exactly and the person, what this was, The person's yeah. eye, what the person saw, and the, and the very moment he took the picture. And that's all this stuff really is, is that you're, you're, you're pushing a button at the time that something amazing happens. What you – I mean these cameras can't find these, these moments – and take these things. You have to find that as an artist and, yeah. and focus on those, focus on what's important and snap the shutter at the exact right time. And that's what a brownie can do. It can make that shutter open and close in a matter of time and and expose that film and that's it. Capture a great moment. Boom. And that's all you need for a Pulitzer Prize winning image. So I'm going to go out and take one real quick. You know, there's another example and I hesitate to bring this up because uh, Ani Leibowitz and I have kind of a I have a complicated relationship with Tommy Leibowitz in <laughs> a good way. Knew, I didn't know you knew each other. Uh, so we well. don't, but uh, <laughs> I know her, and and I have a very complicated relationship with her work, and and I mean that in a very good sense. Yeah, love hate. You love no, I don't. Stuff, I don't hate any of it, but I love it on so okay. many levels that. Uh, but she, uh, and I mean that she has a book, and I, I'm not going to spoil anything. But one of the podcasts I filmed was, uh, you know, 
kind of a summary of her work. And there's that book. Have you seen A Photographer's Life, 2000, or 1995, yes. 2000? Yeah. Uh, go get it if you don't have it. It's, it's brilliant. And one of the things, and this is why I say my, my love for Ani is complex – she is just eats, sleeps, and breathes photography, and you can tell that. And she's willing to share some very personal, emotional work. And it's a very depressing book in some ways. Uh, at the because same time, it being very beautiful. Life and life can be depressing. She covers the death of her father, her father's funeral, and then she had a romantic relationship with Susan Sontag, um, the author. And uh, when Susan died, uh, there were a lot of hospital visits, and it was a terminal illness. And it was—I won't get too into it, but. Um, when she actually passed away, and this is where I was going with all this, is, is you know, they left Ani in the room with her. And she all really only wanted to do was to take photos because that's what she does. And these are in the book. And let me get this straight, too, because Ani doesn't do this to sell stuff. And so she's not crammed them down your throat from that respect. It's just a retrospective book, and these happen to be in there. But all she had on her was her cell phone, and she took some post-mortem shots of Susan Sontag. Mm-hmm. And they're stunningly awesome. And this was several years ago before smartphones. I mean, they're crappy little quality images. In fact, they even print the number of the JPEG on there, you know. Uh, and then she kind of did another take on that where she manipulated in Photoshop and did a print of them. And they're strung together because they're so low resolution. She just kind of did pieces of the body on the on the thing. And it looks – it kind of – the way I describe it, it kind of has this um, kind of throwback to a lot of those 19th century uh, postmortem portraits that people had done in those days. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's just shockingly beautiful. And this was taken on a crappy cell phone. That's all she had with her. And this is a woman who probably has millions of dollars of equipment uh, because she can afford it and she uses all of it. And, and this is one of her most emotionally touching shots. And that's how it was done. You know, I mean, that uh, that's really dark, and I don't mean to, like, bring a cloud over our whole no, conversation. No, 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 it's right, yeah. But, yeah, that's an extreme example where it has nothing to do with, with – it has to do with the, with, with the photographer and their experiences, uh, all the things that have happened to them, uh, all the shots they've taken before, all the photography that they understand, all the historical stuff. And it all culminates in whatever your next photo is. And if you're not yeah, the, culminating that stuff on, – on here, on here before and at the talk the other night, what's so great about – you know, you've always heard keep your camera on you all the time what's so great nowadays is, is having camera phones on you and even you know Ani Leibowitz who is a professional photographer who's when she's doing a shoot has all the best gear you can afford but right. when she's taking pictures that are in the moment she has her camera right on there I mean her phone on her and that's what she's using for a camera you know yeah um, it, well you, you use what you have on you and that's I think that's good that we live in this time where we are able to have that camera on us at any given moment because uh, some of the best moments in life happen or worst, uh, when you're just not expecting them, when you when you stop at a, a street corner at a, at a red light and 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 birds gather on a, a you know a power line or or you know some you know whatever it's it's never something you're like you've planned to 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 go shoot. It's just something that that cat you know catches your eye all of a sudden. That's what 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 Henri Cartier-Bresson called the decisive decisive moment. You know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's there. And and that's the thing. I mean, you got to constantly be challenging yourself. Uh, Ani, you know, I, I said it's a love-hate. No, I said it's a love-love. Uh, her, her best stuff is that kind of thing when it's just her and a camera and she's just capturing the way world as she sees it. Uh, she has some commercial work she's done recently that are very opulent, photoshopped, uh, almost photo collages where she's done them on sets and brought things into the back. And, and honestly, I mean, they're, they're impressive for what they are, but, but that's the stuff I really like that she does is just the very personal, just her and a camera, you know? Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, you're you're only as good as is all the stuff you've set yourself up to be, and if you're never pushing yourself to take that further, you I can guarantee you're not going to get any further. You know, that's the whole thing. Yeah, that's what I think I really wanted to get across is that um, when you are a photographer, uh, bef- you know, before before maybe photography was a profession, mm-hmm. um, everybody has this. Uh, no holds barred kind of no rules i'm i'm a rebel this is why i'm a photographer i'm going to go out and take whatever i want i'm going to break the rules i'm going to do whatever i want and then when you start to kind of do it maybe professionally or for a living you everybody likes to get into this little uh box of what's safe and what is what is so and so doing that makes their rut takes portraits and what does so and so do when they take architecture that's real safe and what and so what you become is the safe boring photographer who's just like everyone else out there that's safe and boring and eventually that will kill your business or kill your creativity or kill your enthusiasm for photography so i think the best thing that you can do when you're a photographer is keep that passion of that you had when you were an amateur even uh and just shooting not for money and not for fine art and keep taking the risks and keep taking the jobs that are maybe not something you've done before yeah. uh, because how are you ever going to do them how are you ever going to get into that market how are you ever going to get better you know that's um, a really it, interesting it, phenomenon I, I didn't ever really think of that till you just pointed out but but yeah but i guess when because you're trying to sell something people mm-hmm. like throw on the safety brakes real fast definitely and it's like okay i'm gonna shoot high school portraits well, my God, you're never going to move beyond high school portraits if you're not pushing that envelope. But they, they, they fall into this look. You go look at what your competition's doing. You try and match it. And I think that's and like the you, worst that, thing. Who are you? You're just what they are. Yeah. You're, you're no, I mean, you haven't done anything better. You haven't done anything that's changed anything or become more creative in any kind of way. What if you actually took high school portraits to another level somehow be, by making them more creative and, and not doing what everyone else was doing? Then all of a sudden now you've created your own niche even in high school portraits. You know, well, you even look at like anything commercial, like the tech industry. I mean, how many thousands of bullshit gadgets? I think I just lost our clean rating, but that can <laughs> can you go find at the store? Uh, and you know, a company like Apple, do they follow the mold? Absolutely not. You know, in fact, they set the standards uh, or the the. Um, you know, they, they they set the example. I think by by creating new things. You know, I mean, yeah. the iPod comes out, and how many iPod clones are there? You know, or the phone exactly. is a great example. And too. what does it matter once there's an iPod clone? It doesn't. How many people buy that iPod clone? Well, my favorite is is the iPhone killer phenomenon. You know, Apple comes out with the uh, iPhone. Oh, everything's kill it. Yeah, yeah, and everything that, is the next iPhone killer. Because whatever comes out first, and what is ever whatever's innovative first. That's what's successful. Yeah, you know, absolutely. even in photography, even with us, whatever, whoever does it first, that's who's successful. Someone else can come along and they can do just what so and so did, and now what are they? They're just a copycat. Yeah, they're not. They're not the first person that did it. They're well, a cover people, band, you know. They're a cover band, exactly for photography. And so it's that way with the Apple products. It's that way with with photographers. It's that way with musicians. It's that way with everything. Um, Absolutely, and so it, it's, it's it's always the risk takers. I even watched a documentary recently, which is this is totally off subject, but it's called Waiting for Superman, and it's about teachers. And, oh, and that's a good one. Things, yeah. whatever. It's an awesome documentary, but it it focuses on all these teachers that are horrible, and then it focuses on the teachers that are like the best in the nation, and all the best teachers in the nation are 
are, are people who break the rules, are people who say, okay, I'm not going to go exactly by the curriculum. I'm going to do out something outside of the boundaries. Um, and, and these are the pe- teachers I remember like in my elementary and, high, and, and junior high and high school days that were like um, – that were outside of the box. Yeah. That were a little eccentric or did something a little bit different or whatever, but you know they were few uh, and far between, but they stood out. Yeah, right, right. I can only remember like maybe two or three, but they stood out and they changed lives. And it, you know, it's it's not only that way with teachers; it's that way with photographers um, as well. There's a bunch that just play it safe all the time, and then there's the ones that people know, the ones that people follow, the ones that people inspire that inspire other people are the ones who are willing to take risks all the time and, and do something that's different. And, well, you know, uh, I think all this comes around too, cause we started by talking about the whole fear thing and you know, I, whether it's teachers or whether it's photographers or whether it's bands or whatever it is, that will always be the case. There will be thousands of mediocre or lame or boring stuff and you'll have the few that stick out. And the reason that is, is because the word risk does not guarantee success, right? So if I'm going to quote unquote, take a risk, and go do something new, I could fail. And mm-hmm. I think coming to grips with the fact that, you know what, that's okay. Um, like you take a company, like you know, I use the example of Steve Jobs and Apple. They've failed before. They've they put out some oh, turds, yeah. you know. And But the thing is, is that people are, end up being successful, allow themselves to fail so they can learn from the mistakes. And this is like, I mean, I see this in corporate America now. I see it in the nonprofit world where I work. And, you know, you have people that demand perfection, which is okay. I mean, you want to expect perfection, but unfortunately they do not, uh, you cannot fail. And that's an important part and of And so risk, what do they know? become? They become boring and stagnant, and that's why people don't want to work there. That's yes. why people don't want to work in major corporations. That's why I got fed up with my nine to five graphic design job even though we tried to be a fun artsy place we were working for corporations all the time and really when it came down to it we were having to abide by their rules and regulations and things all the time and you could not screw up anything so when you can't screw up you can't take risks what's great when you're an entrepreneur is that you can say to yourself I am going to take risks and if I screw up what's the worst case scenario I lose a client or something and I learn a lesson um and that lesson so, is not not take risks. I mean, that lesson is okay. That's not who I wanted to work for. That's not the situation exactly. I wanted to be in. Exactly. You know? No, I. You know what? That that's a that's a morale killer. That when when you tell people that they can't take risks, when you tell people that this is the these are the rules and that you abide by them, and if you go outside of them, you're fired. You lose your job. Right. Um, I think you have a bunch of drones working for you. When you tell people to take risks, when you when you when you know you leave that open, and it's okay when people mess up because they taken risks um you, you just have a much more uh, creative environment that's 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 open to um being much more successful because it can it can you know break parameters so well and to clarify a little bit because i think we've got an interesting topic and this applies to anything because i know that we have a lot of people listening to the show who don't make their living from photography and maybe they work a day job and they they do it for fun on the side but it's like you know and if you haven't read any of seth godin stuff just go start somewhere it's all great but one thing he talks about a lot in several of his books including linchpin and and a bunch of these others is that we're all artists and that everybody's an artist and and like you know you it's hard to think of like taking risk like let's say you work for a securities firm Firm, you know, and you're dealing with the security of data, or you work for a uh, a company that uh, oh, what do they call it? The, the armored car that goes and picks up the money and brings it. You know, if you work for something, maybe there's not room to be creative in that. Well, maybe not in like an overt sense. Maybe you're not going to think. You know what? Hey, we're going to go in the uh, the Volkswagen Bug to go pick up the money today. We'll fool them all, and that's not a risk you're allowed to take. But 
the long-term thinking and how could we do this better or how could this change and be something that it's not right now or how can – that's when you have an edge over competition. That's when you mm-hmm. find something that works. And, you know, I understand that a business like security is – there is a little room for failure. And you can set up environments for experimentation within things that, you know, so they're not right on the stage. You know what I mean? I mean right. The military does that all the time. Uh, you know, they're, they're not going to experiment in the field, so to speak. But anyway, all this to say is that you can do this with whatever in life it is you're doing. Um, right. You know, we're talking about photography, but it could be anything. And I think you've got to get your head around that and do that with everything you're doing, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and allowing room for failure at times, as long as you're going to learn for it, then it's, you know, then it's not for loss, you know. Yeah. Uh, and that's really no, I just think that's the main point of this whole podcast today is from from doing the speaking to, to doing your photography to, uh, to to anything else that's in the realm of anything you do, whether you're a creative person or not or whatever, is to, is to is to take the risks. If you're thinking right now about something that's coming up and you're you're debating on whether you should do it or not because of the risk or just do it. Um, yeah, when that voice kicks in that's starting to convince you you shouldn't, that's when you need to yeah. start, like, you know, turning this on and questioning it. How bad yeah, do you really want Yeah, we don't mean it? to be some, like, some kind of uh, motivational speaker podcast or anything, but <laughs> I think this is really something that's super important to all of us because as people and as photographers and as creatives, this is definitely something that we that we all deal with. Well, uh, let me also say, too, that, yeah, like you said, I'm not a master of this stuff at all. I try really hard, and I'm working at it, and I'm trying to analyze you know, it. Right. Yeah, and I want to get better at it. I'm not claiming that from experience that I've turned this massive engine around, but um, but I we certainly. Talk about it. That's what we're doing. Well, it's like I remember my dad years ago told me that that everything I, the conversation we were having at the time I wanted to drop out of college, which looking back now he was right. I needed to stay in and finish, and I'm glad I did. <laughs> blah blah blah. Anyway, but uh, you know, I, at one point, oh, I don't remember what happened. I wanted to drop out, and then later on, I wanted to stay and get my master's, and I was thinking about. <laughs> you went from dropping out. To I know. Point. Well, I got I got offered a teaching fellowship. It's a long story, but anyway. So what happened was, um, I I had a I was music composition at the time. I had a teacher at North Texas who had offered me a teaching fellowship if I wanted to stay, and I really liked taking lessons with him, and I really wanted to do it. But unfortunately, it offered it to me in the summer that I was graduating, and I graduated late. And I thought, you know, I've already made plans to move to Dallas. I've got something lined up there. You know, I don't know what I'm doing. And I remember I, I, I told my dad, I said, well, everybody says that it's hard to go back. And that's what everybody was telling me at school. And he said, you know, he said, everything in life comes with a price tag. And if you want it bad enough, you'll pay that price to do it. And that's not necessarily a money price. That's time price. That's emotion price. That's, you know, whatever it is. And so anyway, so I, that's how I feel now. And I can tell you what I don't want to be is somebody who's shooting the same stuff in 20 years that I'm shooting today who hadn't improved, who hadn't moved anywhere. I mean, I really want to get better, and it's worth it to me to go throw that on the line. I have to remember that, that that's the price that it comes with. Yeah, it's not always comfortable. Sometimes you're afraid of doing things. But, you know, I got asked to speak at the Tate, which is a very cool um, thing to do. And if I had turned down speaking engagements and hadn't gone out and met the people that that led to, that would never have happened, you know. Yeah. And that always wouldn't – that wasn't always comfortable either. You no, know? It, no, no matter what it does, it opens doors. If it doesn't open doors for you, it opens doors for somebody who may be there sitting in that uh, audience listening to something you Even said. better, and that will open a door for you later, you know, and who right. knows? Yeah, so, you know? so either way, it's just a good thing, and, it, and just all the way around. It helps you get more comfortable with speaking, which makes you less fearful um, uh, of doing it again in the future. And, and even speaking gigs, if you're, if you're good at, at what you do and, and, and you inspire people and your work is good and, and you can uh, overcome the fear of speaking publicly and, and get you know small or large audiences or whatever, that can be something that can even become lucrative in a financial yeah. way. 
uh, later on down the line. You uh, never know, man. But you if you don't know, do man. any of these things, I can guarantee you, you will know because <laughs> it won't happen. Yeah, uh, <laughs> right. And yeah, I mean, this uh, you got one life to live. So so do stuff. If you mess up and you bomb and everybody throws tomatoes at you or whatever, uh, oh well. You can say you tried, you know, and you weren't a you weren't a chicken. But otherwise, uh, if you don't do it, then you're going to regret that the rest of your life. Saying, well, what if? What if? What if? What if? You yeah. know. Well, you here I'll even drop it. I'll drop it a, a notch up here. It's like, okay, this podcast an example of this, and. Don't ever think that you're going to wait around and expect somebody to come to you. Um, yes, that the Paris thing last year did come to me, uh, but that was because I had put a bunch of work into other things. If I hadn't done those, it wouldn't have come to me. Right. Um, but this podcast is 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 something. I mean, you know, okay, everybody can sit around and wow, what if I had a podcast? But you got to get up and do it, and that's all but, we yeah, did. But, but, but now my favorite TV shows on, or yeah, or whatever. whatever. But I mean, there's, you know, and fear I think crept into that the first time I ever did a podcast. I didn't tell anybody that I knew when Art of Photography launched. It was like <laughs> I, I didn't even tell my girlfriend. It's like she discovered it and she was like, "What on earth have you been doing?" And it was like ten episodes in with comments on iTunes. It was wild. Uh, but I was embarrassed. It was. It was. Uh, there was a fear factor there because I mean I'm not. You know, I don't know, Leo Laporte, I'm not, uh, who's you that? You weren't a podcaster until you were a podcaster. Exactly. You've got to just decide yeah. you are, and you've got to do it. And if it doesn't work out, then you take it all offline, and, and you're done. Right. Exactly. And, uh, Anything new is, is intimidating, definitely. Here's an example. Do you, uh, there's, have you seen, there's a show on the Weather Channel right now about, uh, I can't remember his name, Peter Lick. No. Do you know who Peter Lick is? As much as I like weather, I don't know this. Well, you will be thoroughly entertained. I mean, Peter Lick is an Australian photographer who shoots landscapes and calls himself the New Ansel Adams. You can kind of compare him to the photographic equivalent of Thomas Kincaid. Um, his stuff isn't terrible. It's safe. It's a little corny, I think. And he is a salesman. And he, they've got galleries at the Bellagio in Vegas. And he's not known amongst photographers because he wastes no time in just trying to sell prints. And uh, whether or not you like his work or not, anyway, there's this... <laughs> There's a TV show about him now on on the Weather Channel of all things, and it's like this stupid extreme photography. You see him jumping out of a helicopter with his tripod, and, <laughs> and he dresses like Indiana Jones. And I'm sitting there going, "Who the?" So it makes hell anything that you? we do just feel like we're not even taking challenges at all. Well, but my point is, is that there's a guy who isn't necessarily any more talented than anybody else, um, but he. Th- constantly goes and puts himself out there tries to improve tries to do things that are outside his comfort zone and look at him now he makes a lot of money and he's got a television show you know mm-hmm. i don't so yeah i'm just saying and that if that's what he loves well the thing is he's just taking risks and he's living life yeah. he's not living he's not living scared you know and no uh, he's not going to have many regrets uh at, at the end of the whole because he didn't do something because if it came time to jump out of an airplane with a snake attached to his face or something he just did it yeah well, here's, here's another thing you remember when the lizard brain's kicking in. Have you ever regretted success? <laughs> you know, I sound like Tony Robbins now, eating ice. <laughs> I've ever, okay. well, that's what we're going to have to – this is what we're trying to get to, to finally get a sponsor one day. We're going to have to go Tony Robbins route. Hey, baby. I, I like Tony. He's a good guy. I like Tony a lot. Actually, it's funny. Uh, one of my composition professors at UNT, he, he – <laughs> He went to high school with Tony Robbins. Of all oh, wow. It was a big high school in L.A. He didn't really know yeah. him. But, but uh, he, wow. said, he said, yeah, that was his two celebrity connections. Is, is uh, He went to high school with him. And then you remember that movie? Uh, I think it was called Mask. It was Cher played the mom of the kid who was disfigured. Yeah, yeah. 
I think he knew the mom or something, or she taught at the school, or I don't remember. The real like mom? That. The real mom, not Cher. Oh, yeah. Not Cher. Not Cher. <laughs> yeah, that's a great movie. Yeah, I, I remember we'll it. Yeah. Mask next time. Older movie, but hey, do you yes, want to uh, do you want to knock out this question, or do you think it's it's too much to try to do in our allotted time? We yeah, maybe we'll just maybe we'll do it next time. Because we, have we have about fourteen time. minutes. Oh, we have fourteen minutes. Yeah. Okay, let's do it. Let's do it because we can knock it out. Okay, okay. and I, I have to say that we're picking favorites. Actually, we're not. Um, this is Alex Vanderhoot again, Hooft, and uh, Alex is a good guy. We know him on the Twitter. Uh, and he's already asked a question that we've addressed, but uh, he writes but today. He, yeah, whoever whoever emails us questions, that's who's the questions we're going to read. <laughs> yes, and you you have you have some of you have emailed me questions, and I promise they're in the queue. Um, this was just a quick uh, another one that Alex fired off, and he happens to be next again. But he says, "Hi, Dave and Ted." Dave. Um, <laughs> it says, "Hi, Dave and Ted." Now a- a- he knows my name's Wade. So I we'll think he met Wade. Wade. Yeah, he, yeah. he said Dave. That's my brother's. That's my brother Dave. <laughs> brother who Dave. has nothing to do with photography, so you know to answer this question. But. Oh, he has a very long email, but basically, I will summarize here since we do only have about thirteen minutes now. But anyway, um, he was starting to talk about in here of you know he feels like when you start to graduate um, from amateur to another level, uh, some of the problems he's facing are you know basic data storage issues. Okay, so. I'll just read you his bullet points here, and we can kind of talk about these because I think there's a variety of answers. But one is the staggering amount of photos I have to archive. Uh, where do you keep them? How do you find them again? Uh, next is when you – this is probably a whole separate show, by the way, uh, but we'll hit it quickly. Uh, when you sift through all your work and find the photos you want to use for further development, what do you do with the rest, and how do you go about this process? Uh, find, and do you guys have a specific system as a library, bridge, Photoshop, Lightroom, blah, 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 blah. Might be looking for a way to start over, but I'm terrified I might lose something. Uh, that's key there. Any thoughts on that? Well, my initial thought is, <laughs> what are you saving, dude? Because, um, and 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 not that you are right. The longer you shoot, especially with digital photos or even with film, I've got boxes of stuff in the closet. You're going to amass a lot of stuff. Um, with digital photos, if it depends on what I'm shooting, but a lot of times. Like, for instance, if I do a photo shoot, there are images that I know are the ones that I don't want anything to happen to, and those are the important ones to back up. And I'll be honest, I used to back everything up, and then I couldn't afford it anymore. I mean, it's just like you end up taking so many shots, especially if you're shooting an event all in raw, you know, with mm-hmm. JPEG backups and all this. You know, you're just going to amass so much stuff, and there are some bad photos in there that, you know, and I'm maybe speaking out of turn here, a lot of people are going to disagree with me, but I really feel like I will go through and edit and chuck stuff. I mean, it's just not worth saving. Oh, sure. You know. sure. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, if you look at guys that uh, shoot a lot of client work and are expected to keep backups, guys like Chase Jarvis or Vincent Lafaray, um, go look on Chase's website. He's got a video somewhere of how their whole workflow works, and it is not something that amateurs are going to be able to afford. It deals with off-site storage and backups and servers and, and you know hundreds of thousands of dollars of equipment. But what, we can do that on our level, too, to a, to a certain extent. Sure. Don't you think? Yeah. I mean, I think for one, burn DVDs. I mean, that's not completely fail safe, but at least you put them somewhere. I would not leave anything valuable on a DVD that, that, uh, you know, that I just could not live without. And that was the only place it existed. Uh, mm-hmm. this is whole, this really is a whole nother episode, but you know, it, there's a book and I will go look it up and we will cover this. Um, I just, I'm brain farting right now and I don't know where the book is and I'm talking into a mic and I'm not going to get up. But anyway, uh, they were calling this the, <clears throat> was it the one, two, three or the three, two, one. You have to have three copies of a file or it doesn't exist. 
or, you, you know, you, it's going to crash. Two of those need to be on two different kinds of media. So one on a hard drive, one on a DVD, for example, mm-hmm. or whatever it is, but two different kinds of media. And then one has to be off-site. So that's the three, two, one. That way you're pretty much covered with anything short of the world blowing up. If you had an earthquake and you lost your data, you've got an off-site copy. The DVD mm-hmm. goes bad. Well, you've, you might have a copy on that hard drive over there. If the hard drive went bad, maybe the DVD survived and you have three copies. So anyway, that's all. No, I th- yeah, you're right. You've got to have multiple copies of, of everything that you do. Uh, that's the main thing to do. And then you have to have everything properly labeled. Um, we were kind of talking about this question before the show, and I was kind of saying kind of like if, you, if you're a messy person when you're young, you're probably going to be a messy person when you're older <laughs> unless you do something to really radically change yourself and, and not be a messy person. So it's the same thing when it comes to all these technical files and stuff. Uh, you have to learn how to organize, how to label things, and how to store them away just like you would things in your home. Uh, so that you can know how to find them later. Uh, my process is very simple. I'm on a very minimal you know, budget. I've talked about stuff like this before. I afford what uh, a young entrepreneur at home can afford, and I have everything backed up to where I feel safe about all my files all the time. And that's when I import them, I, I label them all, I key tag them all. When they go into a folder, the, the folder is labeled whatever the project is. Um, so that I can, in maybe even the year, so that I can go back at any time and 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 find that. I back them up on two hard drives. Hard drives are inexpensive nowadays, really compared to what they used to be to buy a a terabyte drive or a. Yeah, um, yeah, I have a ter- two terabyte drives, and they're they're copies of each other at all times. You just buy two um, more when you run out. Yep, exactly. And we're just talking about a hundred to two hundred. Actually, that's cool that you do that too. That's that's exactly. I mean, I'm not three, two, one safe backup, and if there were a fire here, I probably would lose some things that would make me cry. Um, but but there are things online as well. There's stuff in my yeah, Dropbox, I have, which is a sixty gigabyte. Draw, you know, all, offline site, and there's stuff. All my best stuff is on Flickr as well. Yeah, it's like the carrier yeah, pigeons. You know, I could probably yeah. round them up. But you know, it's interesting. Yeah. Um, here's the deal: is yeah, I'm not doing it. The you look at photography magazines or listen to other podcasts, and you're going to hear word workflow ad nauseum. And maybe that's what I should do: is refer you to stuff like that. Uh, but I will be honest; I, I would make people cringe with my system. I mean, I'm organized, but it is not fail safe. And you know what? <laughs> I can't afford. <laughs> You know, RAID systems with offsite storage backups. I mean, that's just not, uh, you know, there's a thread on the Flickr group for Art of Photography, and, and some guys are talking about using Mosey or Carbonite. And those are pretty cool. Um, they will back up whatever's living on your computer. The problem is, is that you're going to amass more stuff than that's going to be able to hold. And yeah, there's a day where it's going to, you're going to have to make some decisions on some things, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but like Wade said, hard drives are pretty inexpensive. You can get, what does a one terabyte cost? Like a slow one, like 5,400 RPM. Like yeah, like eighty bucks, two hundred dollars. Yeah, it's nothing now, and that's a ton of backup. Yeah, and so you could have se- you could have three of those, and you, you don't need fast ones. Get the slow ones. Drive and two that are are backing up with, with you know the, that one drive all the time. Yeah, and, and then Apple Apple makes stuff now like what's it called that that backs up your system and your drives all the time continuously. Yeah, Time Machine. Uh, time Machine. You know, uh, one thing I would recommend, too, is if you're not familiar with, with what else is involved in the hard drive, there will be price point differences. You can get a two terabyte and how fast the disks and their spin. And typically for a working drive, something in your computer, you're going to want to have, I think it's 7,200 RPM for reasonable performance. You can get drives that are 5,400 that are cheaper. So just get inexpensive drives. You have two of them. Um, and you know, who knows in 20 years they could both break, but hopefully by then you'll be successful and you'll have the big server and you can just move them over. Right. 
Well, yeah, and, and you're right. When these drives <laughs> when these drives fill up, uh, what I'll do is 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 back them up to some kind of other format of some sort, like like discs or like DVDs or something, uh, or as as large of uh, something else that I can as possible, so that I'll have them. Then I'll, I'll unplug them, plug in new drives. Now for all my new work, uh, this stuff will be on these drives, and it'll also be backed up on DVDs. And then my most important stuff is also backed up online. So I never really feel like I'm gonna in one big flash fire or anything lose right. lose everything. Um, and I don't think that's that difficult th- of a thing to do, really. You know, no. hard drives, discs, online. Have all your stuff in those three places, and I think you're gonna be uh, you know, pretty fail proof. I, I think the best thing you can do is ask yourself, what would Tony Robbins do? <laughs> you know, he kind of has a, he kind of has a gruff voice. He, 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 very motivational, but he, you know, <laughs> so totally. to do. Yeah. Uh, so just oh, listen wow. to our podcast and go listen to Tony's. Yeah. Listen to Tony's. He'll inspire you. <laughs> hey, um, also I want to hit real quick. A couple people have emailed me about the Holga stuff that we talked about last cool. episode. So if you don't know what we're talking about, you need to listen to the end of the last episode, but we're talking about doing a project where we could send a camera around the world or something like that. And I'm glad people responded to that. That's good. Well, you know, what's cool. And I don't have the email in front of me right now, but I had, I had two of them, two guys that were not in the U S and, and they both thought, well, I'm not in the U S I thought, no, that's what makes it cool. It doesn't you know? matter. Yeah. That's Go global, dude. Yeah, so if you're interested, drop us an email. And uh, What we want to do is take a camera and pass it around, a Holga, a cheap camera that doesn't matter if it gets lost in the mail or whatever. What, we're going to take a picture and then pass it on to the next person? They take a picture, so do that. on and on and on till, till the last picture, then we're going to develop it and put it online for everyone to see? Yeah, we could do that. Yeah. I was going to say the other thing I wanted to do was, was take a camera – this is harder to do, so let's do that one first. But what what the other one I've always wanted to do is if you put 35 millimeter in a Holga and rewind it afterwards, but leave some of the leader out and let the next double person use it. Yeah, we'll double and triple them up, and then have it like you know basically be one shot. That's like we could even long. do that with the Holga, even the first round. We'll we'll go through the whole thing. Whoever gets it last, we tell them to um to 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 rewind it, rewind the film gotta be in the dark man you think it's too hard to do oh yeah 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 no that's that's true okay maybe we do this one first where we take a picture pass it on see what all we get on a roll of film yeah let's do that maybe take the same group of people or people that have been added or want to get in on it and do another one the other way where we have kind of more specific instructions i think i've got a spare hole go around if not i'll get one yeah yeah we'll rock that out we'll get somebody to start it off one of us or something yeah and go from there sounds good that'll that'll be tons of fun that'll be cool i think so yeah. Give us something okay, to actually talk a, about. You want to do a quick pick of the week? I, I have nothing. Okay. I'll do <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I could come up with something, but we've had a good no, episode. But you go ahead if you have something. Um, I don't know if I've talked about this before or not, but we talked about this the other night, and, and I'm really into this right now. This is something I want to purchase pretty soon is Pocket Wizards have come out with these TTL for your camera to, to hook up, to put one on your camera. Um, this the transmitter, and then you put a couple of these other uh, pocket wizards on your off-camera flashes that are the receivers, and then you can put your can you know you can put your flashes behind walls on the other sides of windows, whatever, and you don't have to have line of sight. 
but anyway, Pocket Wizard has developed something now over the last few years. They have the Pocket Wizard Mini uh, TT1 and the Flex TTS for Nikon and Canon cool. uh, that, that are both off-camera f- you know, flash TTL systems, which are very cool. So you, you don't have to line – We I write right now, right now work in the line of sight type thing, but I can't wait. They're just kind of expensive. They're probably about $200 for, for each for the transmitters and receivers. So and you've got to you have, yeah, have both for each flash. Oh, that's that's some money, but um, I think that's definitely something to check out if you're into the whole strobus thing and off-camera flash deal, which is which is super cool. cool. And the other thing that I came across in the last few weeks um, that I crossed through it with a client because it was the way they wanted me to send them their files was a website called WeTransfer.com. Oh, I've used a, that. That's awesome. It's super cool. It's a super easy interface. Um, it's kind of like a you send it type thing, but the interface is just super easy. It's you better than you page. send it. Yep. It's, it's just this kind of blank web page that has where's your file that you would like to upload. You find it. Who would you like to send it to? Do you have a message? Send. And it can upload uh, really large files that you've zipped up into a folder or whatever. So this comes into real handy with photography files and things like this that you're trying to send to someone that you can send uh, via email. You know, anything over uh, 20 megabytes or something via email gets to be a problem with a lot of people, especially that work at corporations. So something like wetransfer.com makes it real easy. And Yeah, you know the best thing about it? Yeah. It's free. Hello. It is free Back. as in beer. Yeah. Or actually, exactly. it's, it's most beer is not free, so it's it's no, free all the way. Beer we like it's very expensive. Sixteen dollars for a four pack. <laughs> I know. So <laughs> we have expensive taste. I, I here's so, my pick of the week. Uh, <laughs> Trying to be obnoxious. <laughs> <laughs> go to the used bookstore, find yourself something cool. Go buy a Holga. Go buy some uh, Maritsu. Ten. <laughs> Maritsu ten. Oh yeah, and then go home. Go through the book, get inspired, find some stuff you like, and go shoot. How's that for a pick of the week? I like that. That's that's the that sounds like an awesome time. That is actually, I might do that. I might even do my pick this week. Get a little drunk, get a little inspired, read a little bit, and get shoot the Holga. it up. Yeah, you need a Holga. You don't need yeah, a Holga. Yeah. Whatever you got lying around, some kind of cheap camera. Yeah, go buy just, go buy something. Go buy a camera at a, like a thrift store. Yeah, that's always actually that's pretty funny. You ever gone over to like Goodwill and dug through their cameras? Or yeah, or like any kind of cool antique store. Go find go go find a cool old film camera and then go try to find some cool film for it. Yeah, rock out. Shoot, totally. shoot, 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 shoot. All right, man. Once again, I think it's a pretty good show. Yeah, unless we I think start so. getting hate. Well, yeah. I get the hate mail from Tony Robbins. But, I haven't checked the comments in a while. You know, here actually, let me let me. This is this is so kind of douchey to do here, but um, if if you listen to the show and you like it, consider leaving us a comment on iTunes. Um, it really does. Yeah, help. we love those. Well, we love them, and we make fun of you when you when you criticize us. But the more activity that we can get, the more we can do with the show. And so, if you have a minute, you might consider you know leaving a comment on the iTunes there. Yeah, we'd like to we'd like to do more with the show eventually. We'd like the show to become bigger somehow, uh, gain a bigger audience, and comments and things help with that, especially on iTunes because the more people that leave positive comments, the the more they promote your show, the more followers you get. Um, eventually, Ted and I would love to do to make the show even something more that hits more uh, a wide audience or whatever. I don't know. Take yeah. risks. Yeah. Take yeah. risks and do things to make fools of ourselves, but we hope it works. So, oh yeah, we we gotta yeah. we gotta eat our own dog food here. The the risk thing, you know. <laughs> exactly. That's how it We're goes. willing to do it though if y'all would just leave nice comments if you like the show. Yeah, leave bad comments. Just leave comment. 
comments in general. Comments. Comments are good. If you hate the show, yeah. let us know. That helps, yeah. too, because then we know, hey, nobody likes this, you know. Yeah. Or whatever. All right, well, cool. <laughs> well, Okay, man. All right, cool. Well, once again, this has been The Photography Show. Thanks for listening. And nobody cackled that time. Nope. Yes. Totally nailed it. <laughs> <laughs>